morning. That, uh, that children's video was a good lead-up to what I wanted to say this morning. When you're going against a large army with 300 guys, what do you need to do? Trust, eh? How about that? It's, it's interesting how God sometimes fits things together, and I'll say more, more about that later. That's the subject that I've chosen to talk about this morning is trust. If you've got your sense of humor intact, uh, a different, a different uh, heading for the message might be standing on the promises without losing your footing. But we'll go with a matter of trust this morning. Let's pray before we go to the message. Father, we thank you that we can gather here this morning. We thank you for this beautiful season of the year. We've been able to celebrate Christmas and your coming to earth for us and the meaning of that tremendous gift. And Father, as we consider your word this morning, we ask that you would guide our thoughts and our words and that you would be able to speak through me and that... uh, the message could be loud and clear. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I stand six steps from the bed's edge, my arms extended, hands open. On On the bed, Sarah, all four years of her, crouches, posed like a playful kitten. She's going to jump. But she's not ready. I'm too close. Back more, Daddy. She stands and dares. I dramatically comply, confessing admiration for her courage. After two giant steps, I stop. More, I ask? Yes, Sarah squeals, hopping on the bed. With each step, she laughs and claps and motions more. When I'm on the other side of the canyon, when I'm beyond the reach of mortal man, when I am but a tiny figure on the horizon... She stops me there. Stop there. Are you sure? I'm sure, she shouts. I extend my arms. Once again, she crouches, then springs. Superman without a cape, skydiver without a chute. Only her heart flies higher than her body. In that airborne instant, her only hope is her father. If he proves weak, she'll fall. If he proves cruel, she'll crash. If he proves forgetful, she'll tumble to the hard floor. But such fear she does not know. For her father, she does. She trusts him. Four years under the same roof have convinced her that he is reliable. He's not superhuman, but he is strong. He's not holy, but he is good. He's not brilliant, but he doesn't have to be to remember to catch his child when she jumps. And so she flies. And so she soars. And so he catches her. And the two rejoice at the wedding of her trust and his faithfulness. This may sound selfish, 
but I really prepared this morning's message for myself. I've always considered myself more of an optimist, not a pessimist. As a rule, I'm not fearful. As you grow older, maybe you're more so. But I never was scared of too much when I was a kid. I've taken a ride on a power chute when my friends advised me against it. And we flew over a lake, and I'm not a swimmer, but we had a great time. I've taken a ride in a light plane with a pilot who was over 80 years old, and Susie thought I was crazy, but I only told her about it after the fact. I remember many years ago when I was much younger, I climbed to the top of a fire outlook tower once and my buddies on the ground grabbed the anchor cables and tried to shake me off. Great fun. I wasn't scared. My son makes a living now. I guess he inherited that from me. He makes a living climbing towers and installing wireless internet. But that's not the kind of fear, trust, kind of thing that I was wanted to talk about this morning. I want us to consider trust as it applies to our relationship with God. And I got a real boost from my study as I prepared for this message, as I studied the subject of trust and what God's Word tells us about that subject. And I hope you'll be encouraged as well. As I was preparing for that message, I, I got a letter, some of you might have got that too, from Radio Bible Class. Some of you use the Daily Bread. Uh, it's really booming, is that, am I too close to it? Anyway, there was a letter came to Radio Bible Class and written by a lady by the name of Mandy. Some of you may have read this, and I, I got that as I was preparing the message, and it was a confirmation to me that God was directing me along the right path when I was preparing this message because it fit right into what I was to what I was thinking about and wanting to say. And here's the letter from this lady to Radio Bible Class. I use our daily bread as part of my devotions every day. However, last May when my son Jacob was in the tragic in a tragic motorcycle accident that claimed his life, our daily bread became a precious way to hear my God speak to me. I left my teaching position to rush to the hospital. When I arrived, I received the horrible news that my son's brain had endured great damage in the accident, and he was already undergoing surgery. When the surgeon came out to talk to us, he informed us that he had done all he could and that he would not operate on our son again. My life was a blur at the time. I wanted to gain some normalcy, so I went back to read the devotional for May 22nd, the day of the accident, to begin my night with the Lord. You couldn't possibly imagine how I felt when I read Fear Not as the title for that day. I thanked the Lord and told him I could not be more fearful than I was at that moment. I thought about the tattoo my son got while serving in the Marines that references his life verses. This is what he had tattooed on his body. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. 
When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. I wondered what scripture would be used to support the devotional, so I checked the next page and saw my, my son's life verses. I knew right then that God was reminding me that he was in control of my son's circumstances, and I did not need to fear. On that day, on the day my son died, the devotional was about the glad eternal reunion we will experience when we go to heaven, the place where my son is now. About a month or so ago, some of you might have listened to David uh, Jeremiah on, on TV, and he was talking about uh, fear, the subject of fear, and about his recent book, What Are You Afraid Of? Some of you uh, might have that book. Maybe Mary's already purchased it for our church library. I don't know. It's a great book, by the way. And so on our uh, recent trip to the city, I, I got to a bookstore, and I found the book and bought it. And in it, uh, David Jeremiah lists ten things that we are afraid of that strike fear in our hearts, that scare people. Each chapter deals with one of the ten, and they all begin with the letter D, so we can remember them easier, I suppose. Maybe this will resonate with some of you this morning. The first one is disaster, the fear of natural calamity, then disease, the fear of serious illness, or debt, the fear of financial collapse, or defeat, the fear of failure, or disconnection, the fear of being alone, or disapproval, the fear of rejection, or danger, the fear of sudden trouble, depression, the fear of mental breakdown, death, the fear of dying, and finally, deity, the fear of God. The Bible says a lot about fear. When I was studying, I couldn't, I couldn't believe how often the word fear appears in our scripture. We've just celebrated Christmas. And even Christmas, that wonderful story that we celebrate annually, is not without fear. First of all, the shepherds were afraid when the angel appeared to them. They were out in the fields and the angel appeared to them with the news that a savior has been born. They were afraid. They were sore afraid. Mary was afraid when Jesus came to her earlier and said to her, You will bear a child by the Holy Spirit. You will name, name the child Jesus. Mary was afraid. And, 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 Jesus, and uh, God says to her, Do not be afraid. Or the angel says to her, Do not be afraid. And then when Joseph discovers that his fiancée is pregnant, he wants to put her away, and God says to him, do not be afraid to take Mary to be your wife. On and on it goes, fear, being afraid. Fear not is the Bible's most frequently repeated command. Did you know that? Fear not is the Bible's most frequently repeated command, and it's not usually a suggestion, it is a command. Three, over 300 times we read in the Bible, fear not, do not be afraid. Approximately one time for every day of the year. Even our Bible heroes are said to have been afraid. David, Paul, Timothy, many, many others. And Jesus said in John 14, verse 1, which was our call to worship verse in your bulletin, do not let your hearts be troubled. Troubled meaning being fearful or worried 
Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. I get the feeling when I, when I was studying, I got the feeling that God, that God must have known we'd be fearful people, that we'd be anxious people. So as we consider the subject of trust this morning, I'd like to give you three points. Every good sermon, I'm told, has to have at least three points. So here they are, three points. First, to know him is to trust him. And secondly, I'd like to say something about misplaced trust. And then thirdly, the blessing and benefit of trust. So first of all, to know him is to trust him. Psalm 9 verse 10 says, Those who know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, O Lord, hast not forsaken those who seek thee. I'm going to highlight quite a few verses or scripture passages this morning referring to that fear trust thought. Second Timothy one twelve, I know who it is that I have put my trust in. Little Sarah, from the story I just told, you maybe recognize that was Max Licato. He's a great storyteller, and I thought it was so fitting that story for what I wanted to say this morning. Little Sarah in, in Max's story, she knew no fear as she jumped off the bed into the arms of her father. Why did she not fear? She didn't fear because she trusted her daddy. And why did she trust? Why did she trust him? Because she knew he loved her. It's as simple as that. And I have done this, and many of you fathers out there have done this when your kids were little toddlers, and I've done this even with some of my grandkids, put them on the table, took a step back, and asked them to jump, and they jumped. Do you know that, what that does to the heart of a father or a grandfather when the little one trusts you to that extent that they'll jump off a table or off a bed in this case? Trusting you to catch them, do you know what that does to your heart? What does it do to the heart of our Heavenly Father When we trust him to that extent, on a scale of one to ten, where is your trust level this morning? Someone has said, knowing that I am not the one in control is a great relief. Knowing the one who is in control is everything. To know him is to trust him. First John 4:18 says there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. And Psalm 32:10 many are the sores of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. There again, the love trust connection. Over and over again. Love trust. Little Sarah, 4 years of age, made that connection. Do I, do you, make that connection in regards to our Heavenly Father and our relationship to Him? God is not a spy. 
looking to surprise me. He is not an enemy lurking in the shadows to hurt me. God is my Father who loves me and wants to help if I will but trust in his goodness. I believe our son told this story from this pulpit, I think. I'm not sure. I think he told this story or on some occasion anyway. I just want to repeat it here. Sorry about that. But it's, it's dear to my heart. Terry and Jill went to the Dominican on a mission term for four years, straight out of university. I'd never had a teaching position in, in Canada. Went straight to the Dominican. Returned after four years. Very little money. And Terry tells how he was sitting in the church service and a, a mission or some ministry was highlighted that morning and people were asked to donate to it and uh, they felt... He talked to Jill about it. They discussed it, and they felt, even though they couldn't afford it at the time, they felt God was telling them to make a donation for this worthy cause. And so they wrote a check of $500 and put it in the offering plate. And it wasn't more than a few weeks later, they were visiting at their friend's house, renewing acquaintances after four years away. And his friend says to him, I felt led by God to, to bless you with a homecoming gift. And you guessed it. He handed him a check for $500. When I am afraid, Psalm 56 from our scripture reading this morning, verse 3, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in thee. And I like verse 4 even better. Verse 4 of the same chapter, in God I have put my trust and I shall not be afraid. Note also the last part of verse 9, this I know that God is for me. Have you ever thought about that, that God is actually for you? That is an amazing thought. God is for me. God is for you. So does this mean, and we had this in our adult Sunday school on the DVD we were watching this morning with Louis Giglio. If you have a chance, it's in the Sunday school superintendent's office. Listen to that DVD. Does this mean then if we trust that all our troubles are over? No more trials, no more heartaches, no more hardship, no more tragedy, etc., etc. James Dobson writes, There will be times in every person's life when circumstances don't add up. We don't have the total picture, and our understanding is at best partial. We feel so alone. We say, This isn't fair. And God simply says, trust me. And commenting on Psalm 23, an unknown author put it this way. I like, I like poetry, by the way. You knew that, didn't you? 
In pastures green, not always. Sometimes he who knoweth best in kindness leadeth me in weary ways where heavy shadows be. And by still waters, no, not always so. Oft times the heavy tempests round me blow, and o'er my soul the waves and billows go. But when the storm beats loudest, and I cry aloud for help, the master standeth by and whispers to my soul, Lo, it is I. So where he leads me, I can safely go, and in the blessed hereafter I shall know why in his wisdom he hath led me so. Charles Stanley says, I cannot be truly secure about any other thing in this life until I am secure in my relationship with my Heavenly Father. Trust does not still the chaos or dull the pain or provide a crutch when all else is unclear. The heart of trust says, as Jesus did, hanging on the cross into your hands, I commit my spirit. I will not doubt, author, the unknown poet again, I will not doubt, though all my ships at sea come drifting home with broken masts and sails, I will believe the hand which never fails from seeming evil worketh good for me, and though I weep because these sails are tattered, still will I cry, while the best hopes lie shattered, I trust in thee. Excuse me. Secondly, then, misplaced trust. Proverbs 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. And we'll enumerate several inappropriate objects of trust that God's word reveals to us, but this has got to be our favorite, don't you think? Our own understanding. We've got things figured out. So we believe... I don't need anybody telling me what to do. But Proverbs 28:26 says, "He who trusts in his own in his own heart is a fool." Proverbs or Isaiah 47:10, "Your wisdom and your knowledge have deluded you." There are countless voices around us that are characterized by foolishness and falsehood. Are we listening to them, or are we listening to the Word of God? One will erode our trust, the other will build our trust. Another inappropriate object of trust, verse, uh, Isaiah 31, verse 1 says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses and trust in chariots because they are many and horsemen because they are strong. But they do not look to the Holy One of Israel nor seek the Lord. And Psalm 44, 6, the psalmist says, I will not trust in my bow, nor will my sword save me. Is our security in our military or in the military of our allies? On the night of April 14, 1912, a British steamer of the White Star Line set out on its maiden voyage. A symbol of misplaced trust, arrogance really, is found in the epigram carved over the doorway of the Titanic. Even God cannot sink this ship. And that blasphemy still rots on the bottom of the Atlantic. Misplaced trust. Thirdly, how about wealth or money or our comfortable lifestyle? 
that we've been accustomed to. Psalm 62:10, if riches increase, do not set your heart upon them. Proverbs 11:28, he who trusts in his riches will fall. And 1 Timothy 6:17, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. And Luke 12, 16 to 21, the rich fool put his trust in his full grain bins. Oh, I heard all the grain bins were full this fall. How about that? There's a word for us, isn't there? Luke 12, earlier in the same chapter, Jesus reminds his listeners and us that God cares even for the sparrow, for the sparrows, and knows the numbers of the number of hairs on our head. And Jesus, with this story, assures us of God's care for us. And God is thinking of me and you, and that's an amazing thought. And the doubter dismisses these words and admits it's a nice story, but remains sullen and fearful. But the trusting child of God receives them and has an attack of the happies. Which leads us to our final point, the blessing or benefit of trust. We're about to enter a new year. Are you a bit apprehensive? As you as to what 2014 might bring your way? I often wonder what kind of a world are my children and my grandchildren especially? What kind of a world are they inheriting? And I have to admit this morning that scares me. The blessing of deliverance. Psalm 22, 4 and 5. In thee our fathers trusted. They trusted and thou didst deliver them. To thee they cried out and were delivered. In thee they trusted and were not disappointed. In, scripture, in our scripture reading, uh, verse 8 especially, um, depending on the translation you have in the New American Standard, it says you, he, the psalmist asks for God to put my tears in your bottle. You got a translation that says something like that? That's a very strange, that's kind of a strange expression, isn't it? God is to put his tears in a bottle. And I researched that a little bit, and I guess in ancient times, when a person was terminally ill or on on their deathbed, people would actually collect the tears of the dying person or critically ill person as a memorial, and they would save those as a reminder. That's what he's saying here. Very interesting. We don't do that. But he's asking God to do that. Put my tears in your bottle. Please, Please remember. Please don't forget. That's what he's saying. So God takes note of, God takes note of, and God remembers your tears. Have you had a good cry lately? I'm sure some of you have. Secondly, the blessing of God's care. Psalm 37, 5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. 
I relate the following stories not because I want to make myself look good or to, or to brag this morning. I relate this to give honor where honor is due and glory where God, glory is due, and that's to God alone. This past summer, Susie and I went to our 50th grad class reunion. That pretty much dates us, eh? Now you know. 50 years. And so we were asked by the committee if we would, we, we would give, be given time to share what had happened, highlights from our life, what had happened in the past 50 years. How do you put 50 years into a few minutes, right? But it was, a, it was a good exercise for me because it forced me to think back over 50 years, a span of 50 years of my life, to be able to share with my classmates who had some of them I hadn't seen for 50 years. It was a great experience. And to share with them what, what had transpired in my life. And so highlights came up uh, as I thought about that. And so I shared that with them at our grad reunion. In 1968, uh, we were planning to get married. That was five years after grad. We were planning to get married that fall. We had about $600 between us. We still laugh about that. We were going to farm. Um, my dad never had a large farm, and we were kind of concerned, and I talked it over with my dad. We were a little concerned that the farm was really not adequate to support two households. And uh, right at that time, there was no land to rent or to buy in the area. So, uh, you know, well, you know, things would fall into place and you can live on love, they tell us when we're first married. So anyway, we went ahead. Uh, we planned our wedding for that fall, October of 1968. Just a few months before our wedding, a neighbor drove onto the yard and he said to me, he said, I hear that you're planning to get married this fall, and I didn't know where he had heard that just yet, but anyway, he had heard it. And I said, yes, that's right. And he said, uh, I'm moving to British Columbia. I want somebody to rent my land, and I want somebody to rent my land who will use the buildings because there was a brand-new house on the place, a square section of land and a brand-new house. And he says, would you want to rent my farm? It made our start so much easier, and it was a real answer to prayer. And skipping ahead 25 years before our 25th anniversary, I ended up in the hospital with a terrible lung infection. I couldn't breathe on my own. I had to be on oxygen. On top of that, our daughter Chris's wedding was just weeks away, and she had asked me to speak at the wedding. And as the day drew closer, I told her, you know, Chris, I'm not going to be able to do that. I can hardly breathe. And I had to cough. The cough was terrible. And I says, you know, Chris, you better come up with plan B because I don't think I'm able to do what you wish me to do. But she was confident that God would intervene. And a few days before the wedding, I was released from the hospital. 
And I did the devotional at the ceremony, and I never coughed once. And after that experience, we decided that we would quit farming and take better care of the damaged lungs, my damaged lungs. We had no idea what I would do as an alternate career. All I knew was farming. We prayed about it. We left it in God's hands. Just weeks after our auction sale, the phone rang. And the sales manager at the Ford dealership was on the line. He said, I hear, I hear by the grapevine that you're retiring from farming. Would you like to come and sell for us? And I immediately refused. I said, I'm not a salesman. I know nothing about salesmanship. Or I, no, I, I'm really not interested. And he was very persistent. And he said to me, why, you know, before you make up your mind, give me a final answer. He said, why don't you come and spend a day or two at the dealership and just observe what we do? Well, I thought, you know, I guess it doesn't hurt. I'm not committing myself to anything. I'll, I'll go and observe what they do. So I went to observe, and I stayed for 14 years. And some of you may be thinking, as I relate these stories, and I can tell you more, but I'm not going to bore you with any more. And some of you are thinking, well, you know, coincidence, you know. And I say, no. Does God care? I know he cares. Because I've experienced it. And I think there's many of you sitting here this morning that could tell us similar stories Thirdly, then, and next, the blessing of peace. Isaiah 26, verse 3, The steadfast mind thou wilt keep in perfect peace, because he trusts in thee. Peace as a result of trust. Peace is in short supply in our world, isn't it? World peace, national peace, personal peace. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, Jesus says. And finally then, the, blank, the blessing of strength, of strength and fruitfulness. The blessing of strength and fruitfulness. Jeremiah 17, 7 to 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. There's that word again, trusts in the Lord. He will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by the stream and will not fear... There's that fear, that word again, when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. God wants to use each one of us to be a blessing, to give us the privilege of fruitfulness and usefulness. Now maybe you're thinking to yourself, I don't have the gifting, I am... I don't have the talents to be useful in God's service. Let me share a little story with you. I'm sorry about all the stories this morning, but they make the point. Have any of you heard the story of the cracked pot? I didn't say crack pot. I said cracked pot. 
This story comes uh, to us out of India. A water bearer had two large pots, which he hung on, a, on opposite ends of a pole, which he carried across his shoulders to carry water. One of the pots had a crack in it. The other was perfect. After the long walk from the stream to the master's house, the crack pot arrived only half full. The rest of the water had leaked out. The perfect pot was proud of its accomplishments because it fulfilled the purpose for which it had been made. But the poor cracked pot was ashamed of its imperfection because it was able to accomplish only half as much. This went on day after day, and finally the unhappy pot spoke to the water bearer as they came to the stream, and he said to the water bearer, I am so ashamed of myself, and I want to apologize. And the water bearer says to the pot, Use your imagination, okay? He's talking to a pot. And he says, Why are you ashamed? What are you ashamed of? And the pot says, Because all this time I've been able to deliver only half my load because this crack causes water to leak out on the way back to the master's house. And the water bearer felt sorry for the cracked pot. And he said, As we return to the house, I want you to notice the beautiful flowers along the path. Indeed, as they went up the hill, there were the flowers bright in the sun's glow, and it cheered the pot up a little bit. But at the end of the trail, it still felt bad because it had leaked out half its load again, and so it again apologized. And the bearer said, Do you notice that there were flowers only on your side of the path and not on the other pot's side? I planted flower seeds on your side of the path. And every day, as we walk back from the stream, you have watered them. And I have been able to pick those beautiful flowers to de decorate my master's table. Great story. God wants and can use us in spite of what we consider shortcomings or flaws in our lives. He loves us and he longs to use us for his glory. The question is, will I trust him to do that? As we close, what are you afraid of? There's apparently an internet site where people invited, are invited to share their deepest fears, and one man wrote this, life, life scares me. It's my biggest fear. It frightens me half to death. Where are we headed? Where will we be in 10 years' time? That's what he put on the internet. A lot of people can identify with this man. Maybe you can. Maybe you're sitting here this morning. And thinking along the same lines, you and I can emb embrace fearlessness as we live with the promise that we are safely in the hands of a loving God.
whom to know is to trust. And underline this, you will trust him to the degree that you know that you are loved by him. You will trust him to the degree that you know you are loved by him. Rick Warren was recently interviewed on CNN. Maybe some of you watched that interview. He was interviewed by Pierce Morgan. And Pierce Morgan, as they were discussing world affairs and tensions between nations, he asked Rick Warren, are you afraid? And Rick Warren's answer, I'm not afraid. I've read the book. I know how it ends. This past October, Susie and I attended Mission Fest in Brandon. One of the speakers was a former Muslim terrorist. I wouldn't pronounce his name correctly, so I'll just leave his name. I have it at home, but I didn't bring it with me anyway, but I wouldn't pronounce it right anyway. A former Muslim terrorist, now a Christian. He was one of the guest speakers at Mission Fest in Brandon. When he became a Christian, he was put in prison. He was in a cell with two of his friends, and every Friday one of the Christians was executed. I forget exactly what country. He lived in several different countries, but one of the radical Muslim countries. Every Friday there was an execution where one Christian was taken from the prison and executed. He was taken to the gallows. He was set on the trap door, a noose was placed around his neck, and he was given the chance to say some last words. So on this first Friday, one of his friends was chosen. The other two could go, were were taken out with him to watch this, just to scare them as well. And so as the first friend stood on the trap door, the noose around his neck, and he was given the opportunity to recant his faith and denounce that he was a Christian, I will be a Muslim, I will not be a Christian. And he refused to do that. His last words, as he raised his hands to heaven, Jesus, here I come. And the trap door opens and the noose tightens and he's gone. Second Friday, the authorities come to the prison, take this guest speaker's second friend. It's Friday again, time for an execution. Lead him to the gallows, put him on the trap door, put a noose around his neck, same thing. Will you recant? Will you say that I am a Muslim? And he raises his hand to heaven and he says, Jesus, here I come. And the trap door opens and the noose tightens and he's gone. Just before the third Friday, there was a bombing in the city and the jail was damaged. And this guy, whom we listened to, escaped. And over the years, made his way to Canada. He's on the 10 most wanted wanted list by the radical Muslim community. He's been offered protection, bodyguards, whatever. He's refused everything. He said to us, he said, if God can't protect me, nobody can. Trust. I sat in that church, and I felt that small. When he told told those stories, 
about what he was, was experiencing and what he'd gone through, I felt that small. Can I trust like that? Can you? How are we doing? I guess we got to close, don't we? A little bit more. i got to finish this one story. There's another little part to Max Lucado's story about little Sarah and her jumping off the bed. Her older sister, Andrea, was in the room at the same time, and she was watching all these goings-on, how little Sarah jumped into her father's arms. And Max says to little Sarah, Will you jump to Andrea? And the little girl stands on the bed and refuses, shakes her head, no, no. And they try and coax her. Why wouldn't you? Why don't you jump to Andrea? Andrea will catch you. No. Why not? She's asked. And this little toddler, here it is. I only jump to big arms. What a picture of trust that is. And what a picture of God that is. God bless you. Song, please, Bert.